Kids are dismissed for kids' praise as they leave. We're in Matthew chapter 5. I want to begin with uh, just some classified ads that were submitted to newspapers that were misunderstood. Wanted. Someone to take care of a cow that does not smoke or drink. Stay away from those cows that smoke and drink. I'll tell you what. Uh, Try us once. You'll never go anywhere again. What is that for? Uh, Dog for sale. Eats anything and is fond of children. That's very inappropriate for especially this morning, right? Illiterate. Write today for free help. Stock up and save. Limit one. (laughs) Person wanted to work in a dynamite factory. Must be willing to travel. Uh, For sale, antique desk suitable for lady with thick legs and large drawers. And then finally, used cars. Why Why go elsewhere to be cheated? Come here first. In the same way, the Beatitudes could be misunderstood and misapplied as well. Um, let's turn to Matthew 5 if you have your Bibles, or if you, if you know them by heart, you'll know that. It begins in verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. From the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Well, there's a wrong way and a right way to think about the Beatitudes. And if you were here last week, uh, Pastor Jeremy um, disclosed different ways, wrong ways and right ways to think about it. But I would like to just sum up uh, a few of the the ways again, um, just by way of review. Uh, Wrong way to think about the Beatitudes is that the Beatitudes are not a self-improvement program. Like, I've got to become more poor to, to inherit the kingdom. Or I need to do a better job at mourning. Or I need to work harder and try harder to become meek. To be more pure. To be hungry and thirsty for righteousness. Then I'll be blessed by God. You know, the Beatitudes are not just a list of rules or a code of conduct to be obeyed to better ourselves before God. This is what the Pharisees taught, the religious leaders in Jesus' day. And Jesus said of the Pharisees in Matthew 5, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses the Pharisees, that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. There's a different way to inherit the kingdom of heaven other than through obedience to the rules. Matthew 6, Jesus said of the Pharisees, Do not be like them. The Pharisees taught rules upon rules, 
And to become a part of God's kingdom, you must obey them. And Jeremy gave an example last week, which was stellar, I, I thought. You know, he talked about Main Street in Avenue A, close to where he lives. He says, if you do a U-turn across the double uh, yellow line, then you'll get a ticket by one of our finest um, McPherson police officers. Um, so you can't do that. And so uh, in order, suppose, you know, this hypothetical situation, we don't want people to get in trouble by disobeying the law. So we're gonna, not going to allow, we're, we're just going to allow one-way traffic on Main Street from here on out so that people will not make U-turns. And then after a while, okay, and not just one way, we're just going to eliminate all driving from Main Street and we're just going to allow people to walk on Main Street. We're going to shut it off to vehicles. Because we don't want, after all, anyone to be guilty of breaking the law. And then it, it progresses even more. You know, we're not going to even open it up to anyone, whatever. It goes on and on. And he says, this is what the Pharisees did with the law of God. They continued to add rule upon rule so that we wouldn't break God's law. This is not what the, uh, the Beatitudes are about. Jesus taught, blessed are the poor in spirit. He didn't say, be poor in spirit. He said, blessed are the meek. He didn't say, be more meek. This is who you are, he said. This is who you are as my children, and you're blessed. Well, so what is the right way to think about the Beatitudes then? If it's not a code of conduct, if it's not a self-improvement project, there, there are a few ways. Uh, first, the Beatitudes are countercultural. Friend of ours from seminary, my painting partner through seminary, Dr. Stephen Hickey, he suggests that the Sermon on the Mount captures the essence of the teachings of Jesus. And the Beatitudes are then the essence of the essence of his teaching. So if the Beatitudes carry such critical importance and weight, why don't more Christians live them? Well, the reason is simple, because they teach the exact opposite of what the world teaches. In other words, the Beatitudes are counter-cultural. Jesus' Beatitudes would have seemed absurd to the world, and they are to this day, because they contradict the world's teaching on what it means to be successful. According to Sherry Abbott, this is what the world's values, the world's Beatitudes would amount to. She says, victorious are the rich and powerful, for they build their own kingdom. Victorious are the happy, for they seek to avoid all sadness. Victorious are the proud, for they deserve what they earn. Victorious are the greedy, for they keep what they have. Victorious are the merciless, for they enforce their justice. Victorious are the selfish, for they please themselves first. Victorious are the aggressors, for they take what they want. And victorious are the self-righteous, for only their opinion matters. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in this life. And Jim Carrey would agree. He spent many of his years living according to these world values, and here are his conclusions. He says, I hope everyone could get rich and famous and will have everything that they've ever dreamed of so that they will know that it's not the answer. The Beatitudes are countercultural to the world's kingdom. Secondly, the Beat living the Beatitudes, it begins with God. Each of the eight Beatitudes begins in the same way, blessed or blessed. And this blessed life is more than just a happiness contingent upon 
cheerful circumstances that occur in our lives or encouraging things and happenings, if you will. So blessedness is not happiness. Rather, this blessed life is a deep sense of well-being because it's God's favor resting upon us. That's what the blessed life is. It begins with God. The blessed life is not attainable naturally. It is supernaturally attained because it always begins with God. In other words, when we invited Christ into our lives, we immediately received a new nature. God changed us. He he supernaturally empowered us to desire his things and, and to have the ability to live according to the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount. You can teach a caterpillar all the rules and techniques of flying, but until its nature is changed, it will never fly. It would only crawl on a branch. And when we receive a new nature as a child of God, then we have the capacity and desire to live the Beatitudes. And you know what I mean. If you can remember back to your former life before you met Christ, and you remember your passions and your desires and your everything about that. But then when you met Christ, if you can recall your testimony, all of a sudden your desires changed. Your passions changed. You had a desire to read God's word. You had a desire to be in the fellowship of believers. Um, you had a hunger uh, to, to serve Christ and serve others. And your life radically changed in many ways. I remember that vividly in my life. It begins with God. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then thirdly, the Beatitudes describe the life of every believer. What do I mean by this? Uh, They're not meant to be looked at as a list of individual characteristics, if you will. Uh, Like blessed are the peacemakers, they describe the pacifists, you know, like the Quakers and the whatever, Holderman, Mennonites, and, you know, those are the peacemakers. Or, or blessed are the persecuted. Well, those are the people in China and in the Middle East. Yeah, blessed are they. No, th- this list of Beatitudes, it describes every believer in total. Sort of like the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit, you know, individual fruits, like, I'm patient, but I lack joy. No, when we're filled with the Spirit, we're going to display the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, uh, gentleness, and self-control. When we are filled with the Spirit, in total, that's who we will be. Same with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes describe all of the sons of daughter and daughters of God who are transformed into the image of Christ because... We're all in process of becoming more like Jesus, who was the perfect example of living these Beatitudes. And as we become more and more like him in, in our progress toward Christ-likeness, we will look more and more like the Beatitudes as a whole. They describe every believer. And then fourthly, the Beatitudes are progressive, not as opposed to conservative. I mean, there's a progression in the Beatitudes. In other words, the first four uh, Beatitudes are vertical, describing our relationship with God, and the last four Beatitudes are horizontal, relationship with one another. And Steve Hickey put it this way. He, He coined these terms. Admission, the poor in spirit admit their bankruptcy before God. Contrition, 
They mourn sin with a godly sorrow. Submission, the meek now yield to God's lead in their life. Desperation, now that you're emptied of life, they hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then that affects our horizontal relationships. Compassion, because they've received mercy from God, they themselves are merciful. Contamination, the pure in heart, will get a greater glimpse of God now. Greater holiness in, in, in that sense. Conciliation, the peacemakers join God in the work of building bridges with people. And then commotion, if we live according to Christ's design for us, persecution is inevitable for those who obey. And so we'll look at these, um, and we're going to start with admission uh, this morning. Uh, just We'll end the sermon by looking more specifically at the first beatitude. But the beatitudes are not self-improvement programs. It is not, it, instead, it is countercultural, unlike the kingdom of this world. It begins with God. It describes every believer. And there's progression in the Beatitudes. Again, that's an overview of the entire Beatitudes, which begin the Sermon on the Mount. So Beatitude number one is admission, where we begin with God. This is where we always begin. When we accepted Christ, first thing we had to admit was, I need you, God. I'm a sinner. I need you. I need salvation. I don't know you. And so admission is where it begins. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Again, the poor in spirit doesn't imply a low self-esteem, nor does it imply financially, financial poverty, because we all know people who are proud, who are, um, who are poor, but, but they're proud. And we know people who are wealthy, but who are humble, financially speaking, right? But rather, it's an admission that we're spiritually bankrupt, as Connor pointed out. Apart from Christ, we're spiritually bankrupt. In fact, the word poor means beggar. It comes from the word beggar. Blessed are those who recognize and admit their desperate need for God. We're desperate. Like beggars, we're starving. We need, we need, we'll, we'll even resort to begging to find food, you know? Blessed are those who are desperate for God. Uh, a guy swimming in the ocean, he's just tooling around, and a speedboat comes by. It's a rescue boat, you know, first aid rescue boat. And they say, hop in, hop in, hop in. I'm here to rescue you. And the, and the guy looks at him and said, what are you talking about? I don't need you. I don't need to be rescued until it's pointed out that there are shark fins swimming around him. Then he'll say, whoa, help me, you know. Until we admit that we need help, we won't inherit the kingdom of God. If you want to be great in the kingdom, another way Jesus put it was, you must become like a child. Matthew 18, therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Why do we need to become like children to, be, to live the kingdom of heaven? Because the children recognize their need for mom and dad. Mom, mom, I need help. Mom, you know, a hundred times a day. Mom, can you help me do this? Mom, I want to do this. And dad, I want to do this. And, you know, they have such a dependency on parents and grandparents. In the same way, we need to have dependency on our heavenly father to inherit the kingdom of heaven. An example of the exact opposite of being poor in spirit can be read about in the book Confessions of an SOB by Al Newhart. 
founder of the USA Today paper. He said this. This is my philosophy. It was a bestseller. Um, chapters. Be your own pitchman. Sell yourself. Attention does not come to the humble and patient. The meek may inherit the earth, but they will never inherit the executive suite. Lead a self-promotional life. When niceness fails to do the job, try a little nastiness. Never hesitate to steal a good idea. Once you've obtained success, you have no choice but to guard it. There's someone out there who wants what you have, so hoard and protect and don't share. Winning is the most important thing in life. That's the Beatitudes of this world. It's the kingdom of this world. The same attitude, self-sufficient attitude and climb-the-ladder attitude can be seen in many churches amongst Christians as well. When we, for example, try to impress others with our Christian spirituality, it would be like trying to impress the officials of NASA with our paper airplane or trying to impress Beethoven with our rendition of chopsticks on the piano. When we try to gain our acceptance and, and, um, from God, it would be similar to that. Now the tax collector demonstrated this attitude, the right attitude. Um, the tax collector went to the temple and there was a Pharisee and they were praying near each other. The Pharisee was confident of his own righteousness and he had this attitude. He looked down on others. He said, I thank God that I'm not like those sinners, especially like that tax collector over there because I fast and I pray regularly and I give generously. And so God is very pleased with me, unlike that guy. Well, the tax collector stood at a distance. He looked down. He couldn't even lift his head. He beat his breast, and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Jesus asked, who went home justified before God? Blessed are the poor in spirit. James put it this way. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Or Tommy Tenney observes, if you are full of yourself, there is no room for God. God fills where he first finds emptiness. Steve Hickey, the author of this commentary that I've been using and among others, uh, he said, when I was on the football team in high school, I was a big guy, but I was pretty slow as a lineman. And so my coach was frustrated one day, and he said, hey, Hickey, go into that field next to the, next to the football field. Go into the field, the wheat field, and I want you to catch a butterfly before you come back. And so Steve ran to the field, and, and it was so hot. You know, he started trying to catch these little butterflies, and he couldn't get one. He was so frustrated. He was getting so hot and drenched. He was pouring sweat that he took his helmet off. His coach yelled, Hickey, put that helmet back on. And so he did. Um, and he tried to, to no avail to catch a butterfly to the point of exhaustion where he fell onto his back. He was looking up in the sky, just laying there exhausted when, wouldn't you know, a butterfly landed on his cheek. And he grabbed it. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus said, be still and know that I am God. Be still. Another uh, Bible interpretation says, cease striving and know that I am God. This is the attitude of being poor in spirit. And then to, blessed are the poor in spirit for what? For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. By the way, Pastor Jeremy asked last week, what's the difference between the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God? 
in other gospels? Well, nothing. They're the same. But Matthew was written to the Jews, and the Jews at that time wouldn't say the name God out loud. They wouldn't say kingdom of God. And in fact, they wouldn't even verbalize it because they thought it was blasphemous according to their, the law. His name is too holy. But Luke, and Luke was written, say, to the Gentiles, and so you could use the, the term kingdom of God. It wouldn't be controversial. So it means the same thing. Well, what is this kingdom of God or kingdom of heaven? Tim Keller wrote, a kingdom is like an administration. That is a way of ordering things and getting things done. For example, when a new coach comes to a team, there is a new administration. When a new boss joins your department, a new administration means that things will be different now. There's a new order of getting things done. A new set of assumptions and goals have arrived. With a new administration, you begin to reorder your values, your goals, your priorities. You learn new plays and new strategies. The old order of things is abolished and gone. A new order of things is instituted. When we go from the kingdom of this world to the kingdom of God... We're under a new administration now. What does it look like? What are our priorities now? Six of the eight Beatitudes focus on future tense. You know, they will be filled. Those who hunger and thirst, they will be filled. But this first Beatitude is in the present tense. For theirs is, not will be, but is the kingdom of God. We're not just talking about a future kingdom in heaven. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven, but it's now. It's in the present. We believe the kingdom of heaven is now here on earth. It's a new way of ordering things and getting things done here on earth. That is why we pray every day, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. May your kingdom priorities and your values be in my life, Lord, I want to seek first your kingdom, the kingdom of God. So it's God's kingdom lived on earth. Well, what does living in the kingdom of heaven look like then, specifically? It looks really strange to those who don't know Christ. It's very peculiar. It's very upside down, if you will. It's very, uh, what's the word? Uh, I can't remember. First Peter 2.9 says, we are God's special possession. In the King James Version, it says, we are peculiar people. God's special possession, that we may declare the praises of him who called us out of darkness and into the wonderful light. According to Mark Wahlberg, who is a well-known actor in Hollywood, he said, in this town, Hollywood... You can be a wife-beating, manic-depressive crackhead, and everybody opens their arms to you. They say, hey, pal, don't worry about it. We'll get you into recovery. It's all a part of the journey. But if you become a born-again Christian and love Jesus Christ and want to share with other people, they say, you've committed the unpardonable sin. We saw remnants of this even yesterday. If you looked at the comments after Coach Tang from K-State Basketball made online, uh, and he gave glory to Jesus, his Savior and Lord, and he got tons of negative comments from, from people because he shouldn't be making statements like that. We saw, saw this unleashed against Kelsey Grammer, 
after his uh, role in, uh, what was it, the, the Jesus Revolution, you know, Frazier, that, that character. Um, we saw Tim Tebow take a bunch of uh, flack from the world when he did the Tebow, if you will, Candace Cameron, on and on. You can think of Christians in Hollywood or who are in fame who are taking a stand and they get all sorts of negative uh, feedback. In the Sermon on the Mount, though, Jesus said, if someone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Because Jews were obligated by the law of God to go the distance of one mile if someone were to ask you. But Jesus was teaching here that the blessing of heaven doesn't fall in mile number one. It falls in mile two. Mile one is our obligation. As kingdom people, mile two is our opportunity. The kingdom of heaven living means going the second mile. That's very peculiar. It's not what the world teaches. It will cause eyebrows to raise and heads to be scratched. It means if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn the other and don't strike back. It means love your enemies, love those who hate you, don't retaliate, pray for those who persecute you. It means if someone demands your coat, how dare you demand? No, you give them your shirt as well. That's peculiar. It means that if someone says, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart. If you take a stand for purity, then you'll be looked at as backwards and, and old-fashioned and just crazy. But this is the only way that we will ever defeat evil in this world, by living as kingdom of God people. Again, this kingdom living is unattainable on our own strength, as P Pastor Jeremy pointed out last week. It's not a list of rules to keep. It's not law, but what it is, is it's life. Specifically, the life of Christ, literally. Paul said it this way in Colossians, when Christ, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also appear with him in glory. He said it in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live the life I live is Christ in me. Christ lives in me. This blessed life is nothing less than the very life of Christ living in and through us as we learn to depend upon him. Now this is where I would have given Joss Allen an opportunity to share his testimony. Uh, but because he called me early this morning and said, Pastor John, uh, I'm, I don't feel too good. Um, we're going to postpone his testimony. He was going to share his testimony of blessed are the poor in spirit and how he's lived that in his, in his testimony. But because he didn't, then I, I increased my sermon by a couple examples. So it's going to be the same length, and I'm almost, I'm almost done here, but I'll just conclude with this little tiny testimony from my life. Uh, you know, I'm often called, and we on staff are often called to do ministry just you know, on the spur of the moment because things happen, crises happen. Oftentimes at, in the middle of the night or at home when, on my nights off and it's like, oh God, I don't have the strength right now. I don't have the desire even, but I know that I should, but I really don't want to. But I'll go visit someone in the nursing home or the hospital or emergency room or whatever. Uh, I'll do that uh, because 
you know, they pay my salary. It's bad attitude instead of for your glory. And so I go with the wrong attitude, but in the course of driving to wherever I am, I know I need to readjust my attitude. Lord, forgive me. Um, please fill me with your strength. I, I can't in the natural conjure this up. You need to supernaturally change me. And so I, as I'm going, I may walk in with the wrong attitude in, in some ways, but tons of times after I leave, after the, the interaction, encounter, I leave filled with the Spirit because I obeyed him and I depended on him in the course, and, and, and I am blessed. I'm living the kingdom life. This is what it means to experience the kingdom of God on earth by allowing him to pour his life into me even when I am weak. And so that's just an example, and you have tons of examples like that, what it means to be poor in spirit. In, in summary, the kingdom of heaven is released in us only when we acknowledge first our spiritual bankruptcy apart from Christ and then choose to live for the kingdom of God on earth according to his strength. Let's pray. And so, Lord Jesus, we are weak without you. And, and we are poor in our spirits without you, Lord. We, we just need you on a daily basis, many times a day basis. And so we are here this morning to worship you because we know we need to worship you. We know that we need to be filled so that we can be faithful servants the rest of the week. And so, Lord, we are here uh, to offer you our praise and our thanks. We're here to acknowledge our weakness and need for you in our poor in spirit that we may live the kingdom of God. Thank you for your faithfulness. In Christ's name, amen.